Our passage this morning, we look at yet another question that was given to Jesus. Two weeks ago, we looked at the question concerning divorce. Then there was a question that was brought to him by the rich young ruler, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Well, eternal life is not achieved by good deeds, it's achieved by grace. In order to reveal that truth, he said to the young man that he was to sell everything that he had and to give it to the poor. Because the young man had thought that he had loved his neighbor as himself. He thought that he merited eternal life. So Jesus said, if you'd be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. But when the young man heard that, he went away sorrowful, for he really did not love his neighbor as himself, and he did not come to a place of repentance. Jesus then taught that it was easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And they were astonished. And they said, well, then who can be saved? And Jesus answered them that man cannot save himself, but God alone can save them. With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. That's where we left off last week. But that prompted another question in the mind of Peter, verse 27. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? All right, we really did leave everything, just as you told that rich young ruler to do. We have left everything in order to follow you. So what are we going to get out of it? The question in essence is, first of all, will we have eternal life? And secondly, will it have been worth it to have sold everything in order to follow you? The theme this morning is that it is worth it to follow Christ, for everyone receives far more than what they have sacrificed. It's always worth it to follow Christ, for everyone receives far more than what they have sacrificed. It begins with a discussion of the apostles. The apostles will receive more than what they sacrificed. Matthew 19, 28. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on the glorious throne, you who have followed me also sit on twelve thrones. What Jesus is about to say is a promise. He said, Truly, I say to you, in verse 28, There's going to be a time of reward, and that time is future. It's stated in verse 28 that it's going to be in the new world. In the new world. The NES says in the regeneration. NIV, in the renewal of all things. It will be in the time of the new heaven and new earth, as well as the millennial kingdom. It is when Jesus is made visible king over all. Notice verse 28 when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne. So at this future time when the kingdom is fully established, when Jesus is reigning here on this earth, he says that the apostles will reign with him. So first of all, does this include Judas who would betray Christ? The answer is no. The operative word is to be a follower of Christ, Notice verse 28. You who have followed me. In 1 Timothy, it states, 
If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. Judas was a betrayer in the fullest sense of the word. He was not a true follower of Jesus. Now, Peter thinks that they are all true followers of Christ. Notice verse 27, his, reply, his, his question. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything. He's referring to himself and the other apostles. See, we have left everything. But Peter did not know that Judas was not a true apostle. He was not a follower of Jesus Christ. And he hadn't left everything. His allegiance was still to the things of this world. If you remember the incident when a woman came to anoint Jesus with a costly spice, we read these words. And after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked. Uh, uh, excuse me. Uh, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charged the money, he used to help himself to what was put into it. All along, Judas was not a follower of Jesus Christ. Judas did not change just prior to betraying Jesus. Judas never was a true follower of Jesus. John did not know that. Jesus did. In John chapter 6, verses 66 and following, it says this. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, again speaking for the twelve, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them and said, Did not I choose you, the twelve? And yet, one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon, Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. So, Peter says, We all believed. Jesus said, Well, hold on a minute. I chose you twelve, but one of you is a devil. One of you is going to betray me. One of you does not believe. In John chapter 17, it makes it clear that Judas will be destroyed. In Christ's high priestly prayer, he says, While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. One of them would be lost. That's Judas. Jesus is saying, you who follow me, you're going to sit on one of the 12 thrones that uh, judge the nation of Israel. Judas didn't follow him. Either Matthias or the Apostle Paul is going to be sitting on that 12th throne, but it won't be Judas. The most committed disciples, not just the apostles, will receive more than they sacrificed in following Christ. Verse 28. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you have followed me 
will also sit on 12 thrones, judging 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone, not just the 12 apostles, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold. Everyone will receive a hundred times more than what they've sacrificed. Anything that you give up in order to follow Christ, you're going to receive a hundred times more than anything you give up. You know, sometimes you'll hear people's testimonies and they'll talk about what they gave up in order to follow the Lord. I gave up a music career. I gave up a scholarship. I gave up this. I gave up that. I gave up fame. I gave up glory. I gave up whatever in order to follow Christ. The reality is there's no one who's given up anything, no matter how large it is, that's not getting a hundred times back whatever that is they sacrificed. We should not view it as a huge sacrifice to follow Christ. It is a tremendous blessing to follow Christ. Everyone will receive abundantly more than they sacrificed. Now notice what verse 29 says. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or famine or brother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. I think that's the way that we might read this verse, but I would say to you the emphasis is on the latter. In other words, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. The greatest benefit that comes in following Christ is eternal life. The rewards pale. It's really about eternal life. Eternal life is the most important thing. It is what is central to this passage. It comes out of that question of the rich young ruler, what must we do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says no matter what you've given up, you'll be rewarded. You'll get a hundred times more than what you gave up. But the most important thing is you get eternal life. But that could easily sound like, well, that means you earn eternal life. That means you merit eternal life. It's because you gave up so much that you have eternal life. And this is a passage about grace. And he wants to make clear that it's by grace that you are saved. And so the concluding statement is verse 30. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. The reason I continued on with the text is because the parable is an explanation of that particular thought. Notice Matthew 20, verse 16. So, the last will be first, and the first will be last. So, the last will be first, the first will be last. It is an explanation of what is meant in verse 30. What does it mean 
when Jesus says that the first will be last and the last will be first? Answer, it's the parable. He explains it in the parable. The concluding thought is verse 16. So the last will be first and the first last. It's a parable. Notice verse 1, chapter 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like. Okay, it's a, it's a comparison. It's a metaphor. It's a simile. Using like or as. The kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. The master is God, the house is his kingdom, the vineyard is his kingdom's work. Now in this parable, there are some very important elements. First, the master hires laborers throughout the day. People normally worked a 12-hour day. And so so the master goes out, and at 6 o'clock in the morning, he hires some laborers. Verse 2. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. They knew what they were getting. Some were hired at 9 o'clock in the morning. Verse 3. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And now, he simply says, whatever is right, I will give you. Doesn't tell them what he's going to give them. Doesn't tell them how much. He just says, whatever's right. No wages agreed upon. That's what I'll give you. Some were hired at noon, and some were hired at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Matthew 20, verse 5. So they went, going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour. And he did the same. Again, there was no wage agreed upon, for it says he did the same. At 5 o'clock at night, just one hour before quitting time, the man goes out and he sees people standing there. They're not doing anything. He said, well, why are you standing idly all day? They said, well, because, well, no one's hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And interesting enough, there's nothing said about wages there whatsoever. Doesn't even say, whatever's right, I'll give you. He just says, why don't you just go into the vineyard and do something? The second element of the parable is what happens at the end of the day. At the end of the day, the foreman begins paying the laborers. Verse 8. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages. But he begins by paying those who worked just one hour and ends with those that worked for 12 hours. Notice the end of verse 8. Call the laborers and pay them their wages beginning with the last up to the first. So start with those that started at 5 o'clock in the afternoon and then pay until you get to the people that worked all day. But what is unusual is that all the workers receive the same amount, no matter how long or how short they had labored. Verse 9. And when those 
hired about the 11th hour, that's 5 o'clock, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they'd receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. This was totally unexpected by the workers that had worked all day. They thought that they would receive more, according to verse 10. When those were hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. This was viewed as unfair by the workers. And on the evening, if they, they grumbled at the master of the house. How in the world could you do such a thing? These worked only one hour, verse 12. And you made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. These people over here, they've only worked a single hour. And they get what we get. We worked hard. We were out there in the sun. We were out there sacrificing. And what do we get? We get the same thing that they got. However, the master had not treated them unjustly. Even though they had worked all day. Notice verse 13. But he replied to them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. I have not violated our contract. I've not gone back on my word. We'd agreed from the very beginning. I hired you. I said, I'll give you a denarius a day. That's exactly what you got. Exactly what you got. At one point, you were happy with that. And now you're disgruntled. At one point, you thought that was more than fair. Now you think it's unfair. At one point, you thought it was generous. Now you think that I am stingily, miserly. But God deals generously with his people. Matthew 20, verses 14 and 15. Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this last worker as I give to you. And then he says this. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? Can I do with what I want with my own? And you find fault with me because I am generous. Generous. The thought is that God deals generously with his people. Now the concluding words, verse 16. So, the last will be first, and the first last. Which is exactly what he had said at the end of speaking about those rewards that were going to be given. So how does all this fit together? The first section teaches us that there will be various rewards for service. It says to the apostles, you're going to sit on the 12 thrones of Israel. You're going to be more than rewarded for what you have given. Everybody who sacrifices is going to get 100 times more than what they have sacrificed. But when it comes to eternal life, 
Everyone receives the same regardless of service or sacrifice. Eternal life is not a result of having labored in the vineyard all day. Eternal life is not repayment for sacrifices rendered. Eternal life has nothing to do with how long you have been saved. Whether you accepted Christ at five or like the dying thief on the cross, the deathbed profession. Remember me when you come into your kingdom, the person who dies just before they take their life breath. There is no difference when it comes to eternal life. There are some that labor diligently, suffer long, hard, bear the heat of the day. Their life is just sold out for the things of Christ. Then there are other people who are much more lackadaisical in their Christian experience. Less than fully committed. Less than what they ought to be. Don't seem to have much fervor or zeal or desire. And yet, and yet they have eternal life. The very same eternal life as the person who works so hard. What Jesus teaches is the most important aspect in the Christian experience is not the reward, but it's the eternal life. Turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. This is an account. The 70 disciples have been sent out two by two and have been charged with ministering the word of God. And Jesus had given them great authority, given them great power. And the 70 return. And they give a report of what they have been, what they have been doing. So Matthew, Luke chapter 10, verse 17. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. We even rule over demons. We have authority over demons. Wow, is this neat. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. You 72, you get all this. Satan is subject to you. Nothing can harm you. Now verse 20, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Don't get excited because the demons are subject to you. Get excited that you have eternal life. That's the greatest blessing you could have. Don't get excited that you are ruling over 
12 tribes of Israel. Don't get excited that you're getting 100 times more than what you paid into this. Get excited because you have eternal life. That is the greatest blessing. And it's a shared blessing. Everyone who trusts in Christ, no matter their level of commitment, no matter how long they have known Christ, has the very same eternal life. Receiving eternal life is more important than anything we have sacrificed or failed to sacrifice for the kingdom. Notice verse 29, again, Matthew 19. Everyone who has houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my namesake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. That is not an afterthought. That is not an appendage. That is not an insignificant statement. You will receive a hundredfold. Oh yeah, and you get eternal life too. No, you get a hundredfold and you get eternal life. Inheriting eternal life is the crescendo. There will be varying degrees of service. There will be varying degrees of reward. But there is one eternal life. No second class citizens. Each follower of Christ receives the greatest blessing of all, the blessing of eternal life. Now, I can imagine some people might be sitting there and saying, Pastor, why are you saying that? That's a, that's a disincentive. You're just encouraging people to live a half-committed life at best and telling them that's okay because they'll get eternal life too. You don't change the word of God for pragmatic reasons. This is what the Word of God teaches. And why is it important to know that? Well, for one reason, so that we don't get puffed up. The disciples are asking the question, what do we get? They're viewing themselves as the most important. We're going to move right on. They're going to now be arguing about Who's the greatest in the kingdom? Who's going to be sitting on the left and the right? Who gets the the best throne? They're missing the bigger point that the greatest gift is that they have been chosen to be a part of the kingdom. We can start thinking of ourselves as pretty important if we're doing a work that somebody else isn't. We begin to think that we deserve that we merit somehow eternal life. That somehow God owes me for what I've sacrificed for him. This teaches us, first of all, that no one is owed anything. God deals generously with every single person. No matter what you've given up, you've gotten a hundred times more. But don't just focus on the hundred times more. Focus on you have eternal life. 
and realize that you have eternal life not because of anything that you've done. Nothing that you've done. It's not a reward. It's not a payment. It is solely in your commitment to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That looks different in different people's lives. Some are tremendously sold out. Should we be sold out? Of course we should. But the reality is we all share in eternal life. So what's the ultimate application? First, we ought to be grateful that we have eternal life. That should be amazing to us, that God would choose us and bless us in that way. Don't take eternal life for granted. Don't let it become a secondary thought. While the rewards are nice, while the crowns are nice, while all these other things are nice, they would mean nothing without eternal life. That's the most wonderful blessing that there is to have. No one should go away sorrowing. because they have eternal life. And certainly, 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 no one should grumble at the grace of God for extending mercy to someone at the last moment of their life. No one should say, wow, that's so unfair that that person has lived a whole life of sin, and at the very last moment, they make a profession of faith, and they come and they believe. No, we ought to be rejoicing. We ought to be glad. We ought to be happy in the generosity of God that he saved that person at that very last moment. But know that there's blessing in having come to know Christ at a young age. One of my greatest blessings is that I accepted Christ as my Savior when I was five years of age. I'm so glad I wasn't 16, 21, 30, or 50. It's a wonderful blessing. It's a wonderful blessing. And so we ought to be happy when that grace is extended to someone else. Also, I would say to you, don't put off accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior simply because you receive eternal life no matter at what point you trust in him. Because it is worth anything that you might give up now in order to know Christ as your Savior. There is no good reason. There is no rationale for putting off accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior. But bottom line, If you're saved, you're saved. If you know Christ, you know Christ. If you're in him, you're in him. If you believe, you have eternal life. And you have eternal life 
in its fullness. Not a second degree citizen in heaven. There are no ghettos in heaven. There are mansions in heaven of which each of us who know Christ have the privilege of being a part of. Let's pray. Our Father, help us to realize that there are none of us, no matter what we may have sacrificed, that is not going to receive far, far more than what we've ever sacrificed. And Lord, there are some here that haven't sacrificed nearly as much as others have. But they will have this very same eternal life. We thank you, O Lord, for your grace. We thank you for your generosity. Lord, we know that none of us has earned or merited eternal life. Thank you for that grace that has been extended to us and has been extended to others as well. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.